0: those Bibles open and turn to the New Testament, Titus chapter 2, the text for our sermon this morning is going to come from verses 9 and 10 of Titus chapter 2. As we continue in this small section of Titus, this letter that Paul writes to his beloved servant Titus, He gives us all these characteristics, these demonstrations of grace for the older men, the older women, the younger men, the younger women, and now he begins to focus upon what the translation says, bondservants, and that is probably best understood in our cultural context as employees, so he begins to tell us how we are to work or to be submissive to our employers, those who are superior from us. In verses 9 and 10, hear now the word of God. Bondservants are to be submissive to their own masters in everything. They are to be well-pleasing, not argumentative, not pilfering, but showing all good faith, so that in everything they may adorn the doctrine of God, our Savior. Let's pray again. Father in heaven, this is the holy, inspired, and authoritative words that have come from your lips to us. And so, Father, might we hear rightly this your word. May you write its eternal truths upon our hearts. And may you allow the Holy Spirit, your spirit, to make application to us in Christ. We ask these things. Amen. Well, as we come to the the last little bit of these demonstrations of grace, we've handled six sermons now and these different uh, classifications, these generations of people within the local church. Here it is that Paul, speaking to Titus, does not give us any sort of age bracket. He doesn't give us any sort of gender roles in and of themselves, distinguishing between men and women, but he just simply tells us that employees must work in a way that brings much glory to the Lord. Now it's interesting here even before we start dissecting these characteristics of the employees, these bondservants who serve well or work in ways that are well-pleasing to their employers or their masters. It's interesting here to me. Because remember at the very beginning of this letter, the Apostle Paul quotes one of the great philosophers of the day on the island of Crete. It's there in chapter 1, verse 12. He says that Cretans are always liars, evil beasts, and lazy gluttons. Now, why in the world would the Apostle Paul write specifically to the way that we work if the people on the island of Crete were considered, even by their own people, as lazy? Well, I think it's very clear, actually, that the Apostle Paul is speaking to the idea that he's wrote about in letters like First and Second Thessalonians, that the people of God are created to be a working people. If you think all the way back at the Garden of Eden, as God is establishing the heavens and the earth, he tells Adam, as he is created, you will have dominion over the earth and you will work the earth. You will labor for the good of the world in which I have created. And even when the fall of sin comes in, that is when labor, work gets hard. Most of the times when we think about the fall into sin in Genesis 3, we think that working in and of itself is a fall or a consequence of the fall, a consequence of sin. No, hard work is the consequence of sin. Working in and of itself is a reason in which we are created. And so in correction, the Apostle Paul is saying, as a people of God in the island of Crete, you need to work. That's the first thing. But actually, you need to work in a way that is well-pleasing to your employer, well-pleasing to your master, so that you might glorify God in the way that you work. And so just take it off the table that work is optional for the people of God. Now, I don't have anything against retirement. I'm looking forward to retirement one day. But we're all meant to work in some way. Even within the local church. We've talked about older men and we talked about how the older men are looking somewhere in the age bracket of, of 58 to 60 plus. Looking at that retirement age really. That they are to work in the church by leading as elders. They are to work in the church by discipling younger men. So you might retire from your worldly vocation. That's fine. But the way in which Paul is writing here is that, that working is still a part of the Christian life. For the Christian, it should never be said that we are lazy gluttons. Is what the Apostle Paul is implying here. So we are to work, which means that there are relationships of superiority and inferiority. There are superiors and inferiors as we work within God's creation, even when we work within the household of faith, the local church. Well, you think about what are the, the relationships of superiors and inferiors in the in the local church context. Well, I'll use myself as the example. Because most people, especially in Baptist culture, that we live in in the Deep South Bible Belt, think that the pastor is the highest superior focus within the life of the church. That's not the case. I do not get to have my own way. I do not get to make my own decisions. I I don't even get to really preach what I want to preach. There are elders who the congregation has elected that, that helps me order the worship of the church, that helps me decide what book of the Bible or what series we're going to preach next. There's a plurality here of superiors. And even when it comes to my role as the pastor of the church, you all, are the superiors. You are the ones who call me to be your pastor. You are the ones who get to approve or disapprove how much I am paid. Someone asked me one time, who is your boss? Well, first Christ is the head of the church, right? He's my boss. That's the good Sunday school over-spiritualized answer that I often give. But I say, well, technically I have around 130 bosses. The congregation is the one that calls the pastor. And so there's the relationship with superiors and inferiors in the way that we work. And Paul wants us to be very intentional, not only to work, but to work well for the glory of God. And so what does he urge these employees, these bond servants, to do or to be? Well, if you look back at verse 9 in our text, he sets the parameters using this very phrase. Bond servants are to be submissive to their own masters in everything. Now, let's not get bent out of shape using this word of submission. We've encountered it before, haven't we? we encountered it when... When uh, in, in verse 5 of this same chapter, Pastor Don was preaching on the characteristics of young women within the household of faith in regards to their husbands. But really, the, the Greek here, if we were to scratch at the original language, it's almost militaristic in, in its language, in its implication, because it's actually being used in a way here by the Apostle Paul where it's soldiers arranged in in battalions. And they all have these different battalions have these commanding officers. And of course, this commanding officer is the superior in that battalion and, and the rest are in subjection to him. And so it's saying here that the employee should always see that they are in some way members of the battalion. And they have a commanding officer, whether it be a board or a specific individual boss man, we might say. And so this word master really means employer, one who has ownership or uncontrolled power over another. And and what does this submission look like? Well, at the very beginning of verse 9, it says that they are to be well-pleasing. Well-pleasing. Well, you know, I can't think of the word pleasing or or pleasure without thinking of a -A Chick-fil-A drive-thru, right? It's my pleasure to serve you these chicken nuggets with Polynesian sauce. Because that's the best sauce at Chick-fil-A. I hope you all know that. But nonetheless, if you really begin to think about what Paul is establishing here with this idea of being well-pleasing It actually means something like the the employee must overly satisfy the employer. Must overly satisfy the employer. So not only is the employee, as he works to the glory of Christ, not only are they supposed to meet the job expectations, but they are to go above and beyond in order to overly satisfy their employer. They are supposed to, to work in such a way that, that shows that they are not here just to meet a quota or, or check the box. They are here to work, to display the very glories of Christ in the way that they do the very specific details of their job. An overachiever, you might say. And that might have negative connotations for for us today in this very self-centered world. We don't like overachievers, do we? But what the Word of God says is that we must overly satisfy those who we work for. Those who are our superiors. And in the way that Paul writes here, it's actually quite fascinating because he uses the very language that he uses to talk about how Christians ought to be acceptable and pleasing to God. If you think about Romans 12, 1-2, these are fairly familiar texts to most of us, I'm sure. But it says, Therefore I urge you, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living and holy sacrifice acceptable to God. It's that same language which is your spiritual service of worship. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, so that you may prove what the will of God is, that which is good and acceptable and perfect. The very same language. And so what Paul's tying your work to, here in the very beginning of verse 9, the way that we work to be overly satisfying to our employers He's saying the way that we work ought to overly satisfy our earthly employers, yes, but also much must be good and acceptable, must must be must be a living sacrifice to our Lord. You, you see what he's doing here is is he saying that. That as we work in the workforce, as we work in our homes, as we work in the local church, as we work in our society, as we're valuable members of what God is building here, that we must be working in a way that pleases God. And if we will set our attention on that, first and foremost, pleasing God, if we will work to please God, our employers will be overly satisfied with us because we will always go above and beyond earthly standards because we are working towards heavenly standards. That is exactly what Paul is speaking to here in verses uh, or verse 9a. But if you keep going here, in verse 9b, the second part of that verse, not only is the employee to be well-pleasing, but he is also, or she is also, not supposed to be argumentative. Now, literally, uh, one, of the, one of the looser translations of uh, the Bible, called The Message, written by a guy named Eugene Peterson, it says that the, that the employee should not talk back. Should not talk back. Now, I have a sassy four-year-old at home. I know y'all don't get to see that part of her attitude here at the church. I'm much happier that she displays the sweet, you know, innocent Anna Kate uh, at the church. But she is sassy and bossy at home. And she likes, because she gets it honest from her daddy, she likes to talk back. Growing up, you can ask my parents. My dad's sitting on the back row and he is smiling at this very moment. I loved to have the last word. I wanted to win the argument. I might even know that I'm wrong, but I'm going to, because of my competitive nature, I'm going to say what I want to say. I'll never forget. My dad would sit there and, Matt, I will pull this car over and I will wear you out, say another word. And you know what happens. Another word. And it happened. He was, he was a man of honesty. If it's a competitive nature, if it's thinking that you know better, the, the self-centered society where we like to self-elevate ourselves, being argumentative is almost a way of life. And... And it it shows a sign of, of ultimate disrespect for those who are in authority over you. And the Lord is saying through the Apostle Paul here, if you are working to the glory of God, if you are working to bring glory and fame to my name, if you are working in a way that you might adorn the doctrine of God our Savior, as it says in verse 10, you cannot be disrespectful to those who are in authority over you. You cannot be competitive against their nature. You do not know better. Well, in fact, you might know better, but it's not your role to know better. You see, what's being implied here with this argumentation idea is this idea of of lanes. Have you ever heard that in the workforce? Stay in your lane. Know your role. That's not offensive language. I know that our culture deems it offensive today, but we are to know our duty. And we are to execute our duty, execute our job to the glory of God, being pleasing to our Master Jesus first, and then overly satisfying those who the Lord has put over us in authority. And so there's no room, the Apostle Paul is saying, for a worker who likes to mouth off or or contradict A a worker who likes being argumentative because that is the opposite of the submission and the call to be well-pleasing that has has already been established. But then you look at verse 10 as well. Not pilfering. Now this is a, a word that we probably don't use much in our common English. Not pilfering. It literally means embezzlement. That we can embezzle and, and everybody says, yep, that's right, you cannot embezzle money. But that's not all that the Apostle Paul's talking about here. He's talking about being good stewards of the talents, of the responsibilities that, that, that those above us has given to us. Now no earthly master, no earthly employer can give you talent. I understand that. No, remember we are working to the glory of God first and so the talents that He has given us, we use them for His glory. We're not bad stewards of them. If the Lord has given you the gift of of something like public speaking, you use it for the glory of God. If He's made you with a mind for numbers, you do that to the glory of God. If He has given you a motherly nature, you'd be a stay-at-home mom to the glory of God. Do what God has called you to do. And meet the requirements of that job well. Be an overachiever with the talents in which God has given to you. Don't take the gifts and and hoard them for yourself, but use them to to bless others. Don't waste a talent. Don't waste your employer's goods. Don't, Don't waste the responsibility in which your employer has given to you entrusting you to do a good job. But work faithfully. Work well. Do not be... Pilfering, Don't embezzle, but be a good steward. And you see very quickly why the Apostle Paul is calling us to, to work in these ways. First, he says, that we might show all good faith. What he means there is that we might make the Word of God attractive. That we might use the very doctrine that we believe as motivation to live a certain way. So that what? Secondly, they may adorn the doctrine of God our Savior. It's fascinating here how how the Apostle Paul calls us to this consistency and obedience. He he calls us to this well-pleasing means of work. And he says that it literally here adorns the doctrine of God our Savior. Too soon we were putting up our Christmas tree yesterday. Yes, I said it. It was too soon. I pulled the Christmas trees down. We let, you know, Beth and the kids, or I let Beth and the kids get, you know, all the lights on and ornaments up. And and of course, the kids immediately wanted to put all of our gaudy inflatables in the front yard. I was telling Miss Colleen this morning before Sunday school, I always said that I would never have Gaudy inflatables in my front yard until Brooks and Anna Kate started asking for gaudy inflatables and now I've got like ten of them. But, but I said, no, we are not putting Christmas inflatables out in the yard. It's too soon. We have to have Thanksgiving first. But we put up the Christmas trees. And the Christmas tree is adorned with lights and it's adorned with ornaments. And, and a plain Christmas tree, I don't know about you, but I think that a plain Christmas tree is actually quite beautiful. I, I love cypress trees but when you adorn them with ornaments when you adorn them with lights when you adorn them with stars or ribbons or whatever it might be at the top it makes the tree that much more beautiful to the outside eye when people look at it they say my 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 that is a beautiful christmas tree and in a real sense the apostle paul saying here when we work when we're employees that show the glory of Christ, that work first for the glory of Christ, who are well-pleasing to our employers, he is saying that you literally make the doctrine of God attractive. You make the doctrine of God attractive. You make your Lord more appealing. Now to let you know where we're going to go next week, we're going to, talk about this idea of what makes the church attractive and influential in the world around us. And here's the Cliff Notes version. What makes the church attractive and influential in the world, and this has been the Apostle Paul's whole theme in all of chapter 2, is when we will execute our roles, whether it be age or gender, or whether it be at work, in the church, in the workplace, in the community, in the home, the way that we live our everyday life will bring beauty to the Gospel if what we say we believe and the way that we live match. If we say that we love a good and patient and gracious God, then we must adorn a God, wear a God, beautify a doctrine of God that is good, gracious, patient. We must be those people who display Christ in our everyday living so that we might bring the ornaments and the lights and the beauty to the doctrine of our Heavenly Father and His Son, our Lord Jesus, our Savior, the Christ. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, we do thank you for the opportunity to come to your word and we pray, O Lord, that it would indeed uh, encourage us to live unto righteousness, that we would work no matter the role, no matter the situation or circumstance, that we might work first for the glory of your name, knowing, Lord, that as we set our attention to that, our earthly employers, our earthly superiors will be well pleased with us because we are working to heavenly standards, not earthly standards. And so let us work well and faithfully according to the gospel of God. May we adorn the doctrine of God, our Lord, and In our Savior Jesus' name, may we work for him and him alone, knowing, Lord, that you will bring success to your people as we do so. Lord, use this word to encourage us where it ought to encourage us, convict us where it ought to convict us. In your name we pray these things. Amen.